Good morning. It's it good to be with you today, and uh, I wanted to highlight uh, this morning that uh, today we are starting uh, the baptism class. Four gentlemen in our church have uh, decided to take a step of obedience and, and be baptized, and we're going to begin our classes today after service. And I just want to encourage any of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have not been baptized, we would love for you to join us. Uh, if you're not certain what baptism is and you just have questions, we would welcome you to come and join us. It would be a good time for us just to open the Word together and talk through what God says about uh, baptism. Um, we believe here at Lakeside that when Jesus Christ was on earth, he established two ordinances for the church, the Lord's Supper, which we uh, celebrate once a month at the end of the month, and baptism, which is a uh, step of obedience and open confession to identifying yourself with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And uh, we are looking forward to celebrating that uh, together in the near future. So uh, I'd like to encourage you, again, if you want to find out more, if you want to participate in that, we'd love to have you uh, beginning today um, or at any time with any of the elders or pastors. Or, uh, we'd just love to talk to you about that. <clears throat> uh, this, this week, uh, we're continuing a uh, sermon series on hope Jeremiah's letters from prison, uh, the irony of being in prison and writing letters of hope, um, just doesn't seem to go together, and yet Jeremiah has done it, and the Apostle Paul, uh, he did it as well. Um, as a matter of fact, the book of Philippians, Joy in Suffering, was written when, he was in, uh, when the Apostle Paul was in prison, and if there's anything we know about our God is that in dire circumstances, he proves himself faithful and good. And, uh, and we can trust him. And this is what Jeremiah is writing about. Uh, and if you'd like to open up to Jeremiah chapter 32, it's uh, page 661 of the Pew Bible, if you're following along. And, uh, and today we are, are in part two of a, a three-part series on um, this hope. And we're looking at the, the love, care, communicate to the vision of Lakeside to begin the new year off with a, just an emphasis on, on God's vision for our church uh, to love God, to care for all people, and to communicate his word. And really, um, as we put together the vision statement for this church, we really believed that the scriptures testify over and over again of the importance for us to come to God, to love him with all we are, with all our heart, mind, and strength. And when we do that, when we learn to love God, we will begin to naturally begin to care for others, to care for the people in the church, to care for the community surrounding us, and which would lead to us communicating the message of the good news of Jesus Christ to all that we come in contact with. And, and we believe that all throughout scriptures, we see love God, care for people, and communicate his words. And we believe that we see that in, the, in Jeremiah. Uh, and last week we saw that loving God oftentimes leads us to risk. Uh, uh, to, obedient, to be obedient to God would lead us to risk. And, and Peter did a great job of identifying oftentimes we see obedience as not risking anything and, and disobedience, rebellion, as the risky thing to do. But when you're following God, oftentimes it leads us to a place of, of risk where we have to step outside our comfort zone and trust him. If we truly live by faith, we will be depending upon God as our source and our power and our strength and not upon ourself. And so we began our series looking at how God called Jeremiah here in chapter 32 to buy a plot of land even though he had told him that the Babylonians who were surrounding the city already will come and take all this land from you. So 
but he told Jeremiah to buy the land as a, as a statement to all those around that God will be faithful to return them to the land and to bring them back to prosperity in his time, into time of peace. And so Jeremiah proved faithful. And we saw, I think, uh, an amazing verse, uh, verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And to see Jeremiah faithfully believing in his God in dire circumstances when his country, his, uh, everything that was important to him was crashing down and he was able to celebrate God. And today it has uh, been given to me to... Uh, talk about the kindness and severity of God. The kindness and severity of God. And oftentimes we don't like to put those two together or it leads us to one of the most uncomfortable places in life where we're like, I do believe God is good and loving, but all these things are happening and, and how to balance these issues. And today we are going to, to look at that a little bit. And I think for me this was a very challenging week um, to have to look at the kindness and severity of God and uh, from, from somewhat of an outside perspective, but uh, as we just prayed about, and many of you are aware of, a dear friend of mine, uh, Doug Rumbold's little girl, Jada, had been diagnosed with a tumor, and uh, I was able to go out and spend the week with them just to be an encouragement, to pray with them, just to, to be there and to watch um, a circumstance where a, a precious five-year-old little girl um, goes into the hospital. For her, she felt wonderful. Last week, she, went, she had no idea why she was going to the hospital. She was running around the hospital having a good time and uh, having no idea of, of the severity of what's happening. And, uh, and then she enters surgery, and then she feels miserable and, uh, and is going through days uh, and days of struggle. And... Um, and it was just precious to be there and watch her because as Doug and Jessica and the family uh, responded to this trial, um, the peace of God was very evident. The joy of God in dire circumstances was present, and the staff began to ask questions uh, of them. We've been watching you, and you respond differently could you tell us your view on trial? It was a question they gave Doug, and they asked Doug in the presence of Jada, and little Jada spoke and said, my trial is not about me, it's about Jesus. A five-year-old little girl testifies to Jesus that trial is not about her, but about Jesus, and oh, that we could learn that in our life, and uh, we could learn to identify that God is good, and that the circumstances we are facing, though are, are hard and huge, God remains faithful. And today, I think um, to begin, I, I would like just to start with what I believe for us today will be our key verse, and then we'll go back through the passage, is this. In verse 42, God says this, Just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. And I want to start with this because I think it's so important because we're going to look at some disaster today. We're going to look at some dire circumstances. We're going to look at sin and we're going to look at how desperate we really are and the, and the severity of God that God is holy and he cannot accept sin. He cannot 
look upon sin with pleasure. He cannot condone sin. He has to act justly and severely against sin. But yet he promises this. He says, just as I have brought the disaster that I promised was coming, so too I will bring the good. I will restore. I will reconcile as I promised. The sign to you that the good is coming, a sign to you that reconciliation is coming, a sign to you that I will restore all things is coming, and the sign is you will go through suffering. You are going through struggles. You will have dire circumstances, and that is the sign that I'm coming back to reconcile all things. I will restore all things. And and as we go, the hope is this, that God hasn't forgotten. God isn't just dumping his wrath upon the earth. God is working things together for good to them who are called of God, to them uh, who love him. In uh, Romans 8.28, and so this week was a and Doug gave me permission to use them as, as an illustration of the kindness and severity of God. And, um, and they're, they're appreciative, very appreciative of the prayers. Uh, they feel overwhelmed uh, by God's people and the community of faith. And I think that is so important. So this morning, um, we're going to start with verse 26 <coughs> and, uh, and move through this chapter. Before we enter the, the word, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we could gather here together today uh, to worship you. Lord, for you are a God who is worthy of our praise. Lord, there is no one like you, Lord, and you have established and created this earth. Lord, you have called all things into existence for your purpose, for your pleasure to reveal your glory and who you are to your creation, Lord. And Lord, today we thank you for your word that you have given us, that we might see you, that we might understand you, Lord, that we might learn of you. And we pray for open hearts and minds, Lord. We pray that your spirit will come and convict our hearts, convict us of sin, Lord. Lead us uh, in the way of righteousness, Lord. I pray that you will Be with my lips, Lord, that I won't speak my own words, Lord, but that I would be submissive to you and your spirit and to your word, Lord, that we might hear you from you today. We are desperate for you, Lord. We commit these things to you and pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight. Because all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnon to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Let's stop there for now. Here we have a a passage where the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah to tell the people that Nebuchadnezzar, who is surrounding their city, is going to capture them. He is going to take over the city, and here's the reason why God is going to allow a pagan king to come in and destroy the covenant people of God in their holy temple, where God calls his, uh, call the house of God, where he says he will dwell with his people. God is going to allow this adversary to come in because they have stopped listening to God. They have rejected the prophets. They have not listened to, to apply it to our lives, to be obedient to their, their lives. Instead, they had a form of godliness, Uh, but they denied the power thereof. Many of them then chose to reject God and then turn to the the pagan gods around them. They started to raise up, even in the house of the Lord, uh, places of worship to worship Baal and others, which then led to worshiping Molech and to sacrifice their sons and their daughters, their babies, to Molech. Uh, and a ritual sacrifice. So they were offering their children as sacrifices to a stone God. And God says this is an abomination. And because of this abomination, because you have done this, you have provoked me to anger. You have done this wicked in my sight, in my house, and I can no longer let it go. God is about to open the gates and let the Chaldeans come in, and they are going to They're going to kill a lot of people. They're going to take most of them away off into captivity, uh, out of their homeland, out of their their nation. And many of us know the story of Daniel and his three friends and how young people were deported off to Babylon. And we get a little picture of what happened with them. And Jeremiah is telling, this is happening. and, And they should be very aware, which is amazing to me, that Judah which is the two southern tribes of Israel. Uh, There's ten northern tribes and two southern tribes, and here they are. And 600 and uh, this is probably 609 B.C., 607, somewhere in there. And uh, just uh, 100 years earlier, the ten northern tribes were taken off by the Assyrians into captivity. They saw the result of rejecting God in the north. They saw their brothers and sisters taken off and spread out because of their sin, and yet they are following the same patterns. They are going down the same road. And here's Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a, the son of a priest, and he, he, he was in ministry for close to 40 years. Started in his early 20s, and he preached for 40 years. And, and to the best of our understanding, we can only see two, two positive converts to his message. And oftentimes we struggle, and, and sometimes we, we look at numbers as success, and, and, and this is a good illustration of how numbers doesn't prove success. Jeremiah is one of the most uh, respected prophets that we can look back upon. His, he's got one of the major prophets, and we see um, you know, some two, 3,000 years later as we're still looking into his words and his life because he, he faithfully proclaimed the message. And we see Baruch, his 
transcribe the one who he dictated to the book, uh, is, is one of the converts. And then in 38, we see a man, an Ethiopian named Ebed Melech, was another convert who responded to Jeremiah. And he is faithfully proclaiming, repent, calamity is coming, disaster is coming, don't continue in your sin. Obey God, turn back to God, repent of your sin. And they did it. Instead, they didn't listen to him. They didn't listen to his predecessors. They didn't listen to God. They turned themselves over to idol worship, to sacrificing their children to Moloch. And this, uh, this really, when I look at this, it causes me to, to wonder, how can somebody get to the place where they would take their precious little baby? And Molech was a, is a stone sometimes metal statue with his arms sticking out uh, over a fiery flame. And they would burn their children in honor of this dark God. How can somebody get to the place where they would sacrifice their child to a stone or metal object? And yet the covenant people of God were there. And the issue is this, is that we're all sinners. And I can look at this and I can be like, oh, those, those Israelites, what were wrong with them? What was wrong with them? They are just crazy. But no, what I need to do is look into the, the word of God, the mirror of God's word and say, that's me. That's my heart apart from Jesus Christ. This is where I will go if I let sin reign in my body. If we allow sin into our life, and we don't repent of our sin, we don't see the need for our Savior, then we are going to go to places where we should not go. We are going to do things that we should not do. It was said once that sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go and keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Here, uh, the Israelites got into sin. They began to do things like we all do because it feels good. It's fun. It's comforting for a season. It leads them a little bit farther. They give up. They just continue to give up the fight. They just continue to do what they do. They, they respond to the crowd, to society. They're listening to the messages that's coming through uh, the local media. And they just keep following. They just keep following it. And before they know it, they look nothing like they did before. They're doing things they never would imagine J.C. Ryle put it this way, first sin startles the man, then it becomes pleasing, then it's easy, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then confirmed, then the man is impotent, then then obstinate, then resolves never to repent, and then he is damned. If you think about sin always leads you away from God, it always pulls you away and farther and farther and farther And here we see this truth, too, that the Israelites, they chose their sin, but they couldn't choose their consequence. And and for us to think about today, we can choose what sin we want to do, but we cannot choose our consequence. Consequences will come. The severity of God is this, that God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. God must intervene. God must bring justice. God must enact his wrath upon sin. And when we sin, 
we will face those consequences. Now, the wonderful truth here is this, that as believers, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, and a great verse for us to hold to because, one, it's not just that God forgives us our sins, but he says he, he cleanses us. And I just get this picture of my Heavenly Father just scrubbing the, the dirt off of me, scrubbing the sin out of my life. And that's the hope I have is that if I confess my sins, God will forgive them. But understand this, just because God forgives our sins doesn't mean necessarily he's going to remove the consequence for those sins. If I sin on earth, I I will face earthly consequences, but my eternal consequence has been secured in Christ Jesus. I do not have to look at hell as a punishment. I have heaven to look forward to, but I may still indeed lose out on things in life because of my sin. I may damage relationships in my life because of sin. God forgives me, and I can seek forgiveness and and reconciliation with others, but I will face consequences in this life. If we we flip over to to Romans chapter 1, is a great uh, Paul's... um, Statements on how sin pulls us away from God, and we see the root of man's problem is sin here. And I'm going to read a, a portion of this, this passage, and I think it's so important for us to, to really understand our human condition, our state, where we're at, and how the, the people here that Jeremiah are preaching to are just like us. We are just like them, and we must look at consequences may come, severity may come, God's wrath is there. And we, we need to understand why so we can see our need for a Savior. You know, I, I have to believe if the people of Judah responded to Jeremiah's message and said, we are sinners, we are in desperate need of a righteous king, we need God in our presence, then, then they may have avoided having to been taken off to, to Babylon to see their need for God. And so we want to look at it and say, God, help us to see our sins so that we can see our need for our Savior, so that we can receive Christ into our life and watch him work his grace, his mercy, his righteousness in us. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. For, all that they, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, stop here for a second. What they're doing is they're taking the immortal God and they're making him more like man. And, and you know, again, we can look at these people in Romans 1 and say... Man, they're going off to these idols. They're setting up these, these uh, little trinkets and worshiping and, and carved by their own hands. And who would do that? But think about this. You make God out to be more like you and put him in a little box because you're uncomfortable with a big God. You're uncomfortable with a God who says, you belong to me, to, to repent, to, to uh, submit to our king, to our Lord. And so therefore, we begin to make an idol. We, 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 we make God into our own image because that makes us more comfortable and, and so this is what they're doing, and, and that, it's a dangerous thing. <clears throat> now, then they go in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to be dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, 
who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and they're consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. And what we see in this list of things as, as this, this downward spiral of sin, we see how they got there, how they were able to go from the covenant people of God who had God as their, their Lord and, and King to a people who would sacrifice their babies to Molech because they began to change their view of God. They began to diminish the attributes of God in their life because they were uncomfortable with God. And then they be, that loosened their faith, that, that shook their foundations, and they began to look elsewhere. And as they looked other places, they began to worship other things. And once you get to that place, God allows you your choice. He allows you to choose what you want to choose. And before you know it, you have a debased mind, a reprobate mind, that allows you to do all manners of wickedness. See, we are, we are resistance to change. We like to do what we like to do. Sin is simply that. I want to do what I want to do. It's the big I problem. I want to be ruler and controller of my life. I don't want God to rule and control my life. Paul David Tripp answered the question, why am I resistant to change this way? Because I'm okay with where I am. I'm okay with what I know. I'm, like, I'm okay with a marriage that is a little better than a war zone. I'm okay with being a little bit in debt, although it reflects the materialism in my heart. I'm okay with casual relationships with the body of Christ, and even though I'm here a lot, nobody really knows me. I'm okay with being greedy, envious, or jealous because I don't really steal anything from people. I'm okay that I check out women at the mall in ways I shouldn't because I, don't ha- I haven't actually committed physical adultery. I'm okay with where I am because of our ability to deceive ourselves. You see, we justify our sins, and we say, well, I'm not actually worshiping these idols, and I'm not, I'm not sacrificing my kids to Molech, but I look at my sins, and I justify my sins until um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it, until I'm acceptable with it. The man lusting will say, it is not lust, I, I just enjoy beauty. A woman gossiping on the phone for two hours will end it with a let's pray and say that it was just an extended, detailed prayer request. A parent who just screamed at one of his children will say, I wasn't angry, I was just being like one of God's prophet, thus says the Lord. A man who is on a quest for personal power says, I'm just exercising God-given leadership. And we continue to come up with excuses for allowing ourselves to continue to go into sin. 
Instead of seeing that we are desperately wicked and my sinful state needs a Savior, I need God to do something. I need to invite God's grace, his forgiveness, his transforming power into my life and say, I'm not okay with this. Because if I remain in that place where I'm okay with this, God is going to do something to shake us up and say, you're not okay. As long as you say, okay, look out. God's coming in a way to reveal to you that you need him. Over SVR, uh, Snow Valley Rally, just uh, a week ago, and Jeremiah brought to us uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, a story, uh, one of my favorite stories of Jesus. And I just want to take a real quick moment and look at uh, Luke 6 and how important, I think, was it Luke 9? 8. Um, in verse, yes, chapter 8, verse 22, page 865, if you're in the Pew Bible, it says uh, this. I think it's so important that we look at how God's word is, it, it's all one theme and one purpose to point us to Jesus Christ and how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we're looking at here in Jeremiah and how his life demonstrates the same truths that, that Jeremiah was speaking to the people in Judah and how God is speaking to us today. And, and this says this in Luke 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of, this, of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and, and, they, were filling, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now, <clears throat> I was thinking about this after being taught it on a couple weeks ago, just a week ago, and, um, and, and thinking about our passage today, and and, and really this statement came, came to me, why did, okay, to kind of put things in perspective, in the story um, about Jesus and his disciples, the disciples, most of them were fishermen, and most of them grew up on this very lake, and, um, and all of a sudden they're, they're afraid because the storm is so bad. It, I mean, the, the, those have to be big waves. I mean, if a, a lifelong fisherman, uh, his family's business is fishing, and they're always out there, it has to be pretty bad for them to be scared and running to the non-fisherman, the carpenter, and saying, hey, do something about this. Um, and he's sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. And, and, and he wakes up, and he says a word, and everything is calmed. And it's so amazing to me to think about this, and, and, and I'm like, why, why is this happening? And, and really, this, this is the fact, is that, that God allows storms in our life to reveal our lack of faith. Or, or let's put it this way, Without the storm, you wouldn't see your need for change. You wouldn't see your need for transformation. You wouldn't see your need for greater faith. If God allowed you to have a calm and peaceful life and never brought in the severity, the the calamity, the struggles, you would live an apathetic life your entire life. You'd never see your need for someone beyond you, someone greater you, because you have to see that you're not in control. You have to realize that I'm on that boat and it's tossing me everywhere. And, and you got to see my, my, my need for the Savior. I have to see it. Because this, God's not after your comfort. God's not after your situation. God's after you. God wants you to know that he is there and he's present with you and he wants a relationship with you. 
God will take you where you don't want to go to produce in you what you could not produce on your own. God will take you where you don't want to go to produce in you what you could not produce on your own. And here, Jesus has his disciples out in the middle of the lake in a raging storm, and he stands up and he says a word and calms the storm, revealing to them who he is. Their question is, who is this man? Who is he that the waves would just listen to him? He is God. He's the creator of the universe. He called all things into existence. He sustains all things, and by him all things are held together, and, and he's there in the boat with them. Or in, in Mark chapter 6, where the, the disciples are out on the, on the boat again in, in a, a strong wind, and they're rowing, they're rowing, they can't get across the lake, and Jesus walks by. And they're fearful. They're like, what, is this a ghost? And, and, uh, and you know what Jesus does? Uh, he gets in the boat with them. So he gets in Mark 6, says he gets in the boat, and the, the winds calm down, and the, the sea settles. And you think about that. In life's calamities and situations when we're scared and terrified, he just wants to get in the boat with us. Are we going to let him in the boat? When he comes in, he starts to make things right and restore all things. So <clears throat> let's keep these thoughts in our head as we turn back to Jeremiah chapter 32. And we'll finish the rest of the chapter this morning. Now we're getting to the, the good stuff. So we, we see the situation where he's talking to the people of Judah. You are, are sinful people and God is going to bring his wrath on you because you have allowed such depravity into your mind, into your heart, that you've acted on it. And it says this, we pick up here. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the land, hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, and they, that, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul for thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be brought in this, this land, of which you are saying it is a desolation. Without man or beast, it is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin and in the places about Jerusalem and the cities of Judah in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore the fortunes, declares the Lord. So, so God is saying to this, the people, he's saying, I'm bringing calamity, I'm bringing judgment, but, but on the heels of that, right after that, he's saying, wait a second, you're going to go all over the place. Your sin has, has brought you to the place where you can't stay here, you can't stay in comfort, you can't stay thinking that you're in still the covenant people, God, the promised ones, the ones in the promised land, the, the land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, the land that's supposed to be a, a place where, where God dwells with his people. You've rejected that, and so you're kicked out. You're going all over the place. But I'm going to bring you back. 
I'm going to bring you back. I'm bringing you back to this land. And I'm going to, I'm going to share with you uh, the goodness that I have for you. From, he says this from the, the bottom of my soul. From, with all my soul, I'm going to pour out good on you. I'm not forgetting about you. And what is this good? What is this promise? What is he, what is he talking about? In, in uh, Jeremiah 23, he gives a, a, a more specific, specific prophecy of this eternal covenant that he's setting up with his people. In verse 23, chapter, five, chapter 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. This is Jesus who is coming. Jesus is coming. The promised one, the Messiah, will come to restore all things, to make all things new. I'm going to put this law on your heart, not on stone tablets, in your heart, that I will be your God, I will be with you, I will live with you, and you with me. And we have this hope here today that we are desperate sinners, we're in desperate need of a Savior, we need the transforming grace of God to come into our hearts, and who is that? That is none other than Jesus Christ wants to come to be in our life, to transform us. And Jeremiah is preaching to these people. It says, the promise is this. You have great disaster coming on. But that disaster is a sign to you that God hasn't forgotten that he is coming. If we think of, um, in Hebrews 12, it says, our, our earthly fathers discipline us as they saw best, but God disciplines us for our good that we might be partakers in his holiness. The calamity that God brings on us, the severity, the holiness of God, that he pours out his wrath on us is for our good for our holiness, that we might be partakers with him. And today, I hope you know that the truth is this, that you are a sinner and you need a savior, and God has provided that in Jesus Christ. We just celebrated Christmas. We just looked at the incarnation, that God became man. He, God, the, the eternal creator, the, the all-sustaining one, puts on human flesh and comes as a baby. And, and it's amazing I've been reminded a couple times over the season how Malachi ends. We have 400 years of silence, and the first words or the first time God speaks is through the cry of a baby. And Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And he cries and he identifies with our sufferings, with our inadequacies, with our struggles. God cries with us as a baby. And he, he, he came and he lived a perfect life. When Jesus came and lived, he, he, he grew up. He, he called disciples. He selected them that they might be with him. That he might send them out. He promised the Holy Spirit as a helper who would be with us forever. When Martha complained that Mary was not helping serve Jesus, he said that Mary had chosen the better thing by being with him. And when John gets a glimpse of the fulfillment of all scripture, of all history, he hears, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's in Revelation 21.3. So today, what we're looking at is this, that God wants us to be with him. That God created all things with the purpose of being with him. He created 
us to be in a relationship with him, but our sins separated us from God. They divided us. We could, God could not look upon sin. When we chose our own way, God had to separate himself. And there's nothing we can do to work that off. We can't earn our own way. We can't earn God. We can't um, pay for our own sins. But God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. This eternal covenant Jeremiah prophesies about in 600 B.C. says, Jesus is coming. So that he could pay the price for the sin. He could go to the cross, shed his blood on that cross for our sins. Be buried to rise again from the dead. Conquering death and sin. That we can have victory over sin. That we don't have to be okay with sin in our life. That we can learn to submit to Jesus Christ. And I love the, 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 the teens and I have been going to Dare to Share for, for several years. And we're going here at the beginning of next month. And they, they uh, had a, a gospel acronym that start, ended with uh, life eternal is living with Jesus forever. And, and I love the fact that last year they changed that. They said life eternal begins now and is, is life now with Jesus and forever. That we forget sometimes that the real gift in salvation is that we can be with God now. Not just a place in heaven. Now. You can have Jesus Christ now. You can have a relationship with God now if you just repent of your sin and you have, believe in faith. Then, then we will see the hope and the glory, the transforming power. It is there for us. It is, it is right before our, our very hands and our eyes and, and, the, and the word of God that we can, we can turn to it. And we have the Holy Spirit, the promised one, who comes and he, he convicts us of sin. And so when you're convicted of sin, you have to ask yourself this week, am I, am I going to just give myself that, oh, it's okay, it's not that bad, I'm not actually doing this, and justify it in your mind? Are you going to hear the conviction of the Spirit and say, oh, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, Jesus Cleanse me, forgive me, and let me have power over this so I no longer live in this and watch what God does in our life. And so my conclusion for you this today is that Jesus promised that if you're in him that suffering and trials will come. And many of you, many of you know that full well. But God is faithful and he's with you in that time and he's revealing things in you. He's refining you and he's drawing you deeper and closer to him. So will you see that as an opportunity to see God is taking me somewhere I don't want to go so he can produce in me something that I could never produce in myself, that I could be a partaker of his holiness, that I can be a testimony of him. Can we then resonate with the words of little Jada that says, my trial is not about me. It's about Jesus. Will you bow with me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that with the promise of judgment, you bring the promise of blessing. Lord, that you do tell us that you are a holy God who, who must be severe and dear severely with, with sin, but you are a God of kindness, of goodness, Lord, that you love us so much and you will not leave us to ourselves, Lord, but you will pursue us passionately with your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray today that if today someone here has never began to place their faith in you, has not chosen your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, Lord, that today might be that day, Lord, that they won't leave here without asking questions, Lord, that they won't leave here without committing their life to you, Lord. And I pray for those of us who have a relationship with you, Lord, we struggle with sin every day. Help us to name our sins, Lord, and to commit to change, Lord, to repent of them, Lord, and not to justify them. 
Lord, we thank you that you are a loving, holy, gracious God. Help us to fall in love with you more, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.